0: Really great job. And uh, we've got a lot of our students out today singing with an ensemble, blessing another local church. And so we're honored that you're here. We had a great first service and they met at nine o'clock so they were bright eyed, they were ready to go. And so just remember those are our service times moving forward. We are going to likely go to a one service model for the month of July, but we're gonna wait and see, make sure nothing crazy happens with uh, you know, the virus or anything like that, but we think that's gonna be Bible and if you've been at Grace before, when we do that, it is a lot of fun because it really um, is high energy and it's a lot of people in the room and so we'll, um, we'll look to do that. But for now 9 and 10:30 are service times. Take your Bibles and start heading to First John, if you would, please. First John. That's over toward the back, near the very end of the Bible. I came to this title, Blessed Assurance, because as I studied this book, I kept seeing the idea of assuring we, we know that we know that we know that we're born again, and also these themes of light, love, and life with Christ. We live in a funny time where sometimes dark is called light, and sometimes light is called dark. Up is down, right is wrong. It's, these are strange days, but... I guess there's always been a hint of that in the world, but it really seems to be prevalent. We've also come to redefine love, not in a very biblical way. Love and lust are often intertwined, and we haven't really defined love very well. Sometimes we think love means anything goes, which is certainly not true. I love my children, and because I love my children, it can't be anything goes. There has to be structure and discipline and correction. But then we're going to talk about what is it really like to have life with Jesus? I mean, what difference does it make to walk with Christ day by day? There was a song that came out 30 years ago, Russ Lee. If any of you guys you know Russ Lee, you remember him? He sang with Truth um, early in the day. I think he wrote, I think he wrote the lyrics to this. Um, it's shocking when you read it, though, that it's 30 years old, because it looks like it would have been written in 2021. I'll just show you the ends of the first two verses and we'll go through the chorus together. He says this at the end of verse one, you say we've risen to a new age of truth. You're calling it a spiritual godly pursuit. So we live in a culture that's trying to kind of redefine the terms. What is truth? What about my truth versus your truth? And of course we know that the real world doesn't work that way. There's just God's truth. There's just truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. And so we don't have different truths Green can't mean stop for you and go for me. It won't work on the road. It won't work in life. And so we can't have these kinds of strange narratives. And then the end of the second verse says, you say we've risen to a new age of light. You're telling me what used to be wrong is now right. But I say... I say, and then here's the chorus. He goes, what if we fall into the bottom of a well, thinking we've risen to the top of a mountain? And what if we're knocking at the gates of hell, thinking we're heaven bound? And what if we spend our lives thinking of ourselves when we should have been thinking of each other, what if we reach up and touch the ground to find we're living life upside down? Then it goes on, you know, that is such a great lyric. What if we reach up thinking we're reaching toward God, but we touch the ground? And what we find is all of these folks that are saying right is wrong and wrong is right and dark is light and light is dark and all of this stuff that gets turned on its head, God says, Oh no. No, no, no. I get to define light. I get to define love. I get to define life because I'm the giver of all of these things. In fact, Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. So if we're going to learn how to navigate in a dark world, we got to get on a journey. I'm going to call this message and part two next week a journey of joy with the real Jesus. You say, "Well, all right Bobby, what do you mean by the real Jesus?" Well, it's a valid question. What is the real Jesus? Well, I want to avoid the counterfeit culture of the counterfeit Christ of culture. And I want to make sure we're we're shining forth the right light, we're worshiping, serving and living with the real Jesus, not the Jesus made in our image, not the little Jesus you put on the dashboard, not the little bobblehead Jesus that looks like us. So we're not not people that just create a God in our image. We're a people who have been created in the image of God. And so what I want us to do is I want us to learn who is this real Jesus, God in flesh? Who is he really? Not what the world says he is, but what the Word says he is. So we're going to start... With 1 John 1-9, because each chapter we're going to memorize a verse. And I don't always do this. I don't do it on narrative books like Jonah. But when we're in the epistles, when we're in these uh, teaching letters, normally each each chapter we're going to memorize a verse. If you don't know 1 John 1-9, this is a brilliant verse for us to memorize. So let's memorize it together. Let's go ahead and start saying it. We'll throw some blanks in it in a few weeks. You ready? Join me. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, that is not a verse of salvation. That is a verse of sanctification. It is true that we need to confess our sins to get God's forgiveness. But this is written to brothers and sisters, believers in Christ. Which means, well, you know, we we still are struggling in this sin nature, And so when we think about what John is going to teach us here, he's going to teach us, hey guys, look, let's be honest with God and one another. Let's be real. Let's be transparent. And that way, the light and the love of God and the life of Christ shine through us. Let's stand together as we honor the reading of God's word. I'm just going to do four verses, guys. Just four verses, and we'll do this in two parts because we have a big day. And we have a a big thing at the end today we're going to be doing with our freedom for the future. So John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life that was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. All of this he's pointing us to Jesus. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this incredible opening, this prologue of the letter. Reminds me so much of the words that you inspired the Apostle John to write In his gospel, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And now he's trying to show us who this word is, this word that he's walked with and talked with and been loved by and loved deeply. Thank you, Lord, for John the Apostle. Thank you for inspiring him to write this down so that a couple of thousand years later, we can still learn more about you. And we can learn to walk with you too. So bless our time here together in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's be seated. And let's see, what in the world is is God trying to show us? What do we need to do every time we start a new journey like this, by the way? I would always encourage you, just pause, slow down. It's tempting to come to Scripture and say, now what does this mean for my life right now? And next week in particular with part two and following, we will always unpack, all right, what does this mean now? How does it affect me now? But don't start here and now, always start then and there. Don't start here, start there. We've got three gaps we've got to bridge now, right? We've got to at least try to bridge this cultural gap. Bible's not written in America. It's not written in, in our uh, culture, we got to bridge this historical gap. It's been 2,000 years. It's been a long time, at least 1,900 plus. It's been a long, long time. So things are different, but God is the same. Then there's this linguistic gap we got to work through. In other words, this isn't written in English. I know we're looking at it in English, but from the Koine Greek language, we have to interpret and bridge this gap because we really want to understand what does it say? That's where you're going to start. What does it really say? Then we're going to say, from that what it says, what does it really mean? What does it really mean? What is he saying to the people of his day? And then now, what does it mean to me? Not what does it mean to me, because sometimes I hear preachers take like a word. I've heard a guy that took like Ezekiel, the wheel from Ezekiel, and he's talking about what's your chariot wheel? What's your chariot wheel? Well, that might preach funny, but it's not at all what God meant by the text. I've heard all kinds of preachers take a word or a phrase out of its biblical context and they just go off to make it say what they want it to say. That's very dangerous because it can be manipulative if we're not careful. So what I want to say is, what were you saying, John, to the people of your day? And now when I know those truths, I can bridge the gaps to understand what God says to me through your word. So what's the big picture? So we don't want to miss the forest for the trees, right? What's the big picture? Well, I've kind of already told you, but let's jot it down if you have notes. God is light. That's the first thing you're going to see. So if you want to know what walking in the light looks like, you got to look to the Lord. God is love, real love, not the manifestations we see of it around us today. And then God is life. You don't have full and abundant life without the Lord. I'm going to read to you the intro paragraph in my Bible. This Bible is just a a, Standard Preaching Bible, I've had it for 20 years. I started using it in February of 2001. So I've been using this Bible a long time. It doesn't really have any notes in it, but each book has a little paragraph about it. It's very helpful. Your Bible may have something like it. And it says this, God is light, God is love, God is life. John is enjoying a delightful fellowship with the God of light, love, and life, and he desperately desires that his spiritual children enjoy the same fellowship. Now, he's going to break that apart for us. God is light. Therefore, to engage in fellowship with him, we've got to walk in the light, not darkness. And as we walk in the light, we will regularly confess our sins, not to be saved, but so that we have a right relationship with God moving forward, allowing the blood of Christ to continually cleanse us. Two major roadblocks to hinder this walk will be, listen to these, falling in love with the world, yep. And falling for the alluring lies of false teachers. Yep. God's not only light, though. God is love. Since we're his children, we must walk in love. In fact, John says if we don't love, we don't know God. Love is more than just words. It's actions. Love is giving, not getting. Biblical love is unconditional in its nature. Christ's love fulfilled those qualities, and when the brand of love characterizes us, we will be free of self-condemnation and experience confidence before God. God is life. Those who fellowship with him must possess his quality of life. Now, spiritual life begins with spiritual birth, which occurs through faith in Jesus Christ. But faith in Jesus Christ infuses us with God's life, eternal life so if we see the the big picture god is light god is love god is life what else are we going to learn from this well let's let's always ask who writes it now yeah god writes it ultimately the lord writes all of the bible but who put it pen to paper john the apostle who wrote it when's it written john the apostle please don't confuse him with john the baptist those are two different dudes I know sometimes it's hard to believe that two guys who are different could both be named John, but they are different guys, okay? So John the Baptist is not John the Apostle. John the Baptist and Jesus are kin. They're related. John the Baptist comes before Jesus. John the Baptist is beheaded earlier, much earlier in Jesus' ministry. John the Apostle walks with Jesus intimately. Peter, James, and John are part of his intimate three, and John becomes like a son to Mother Mary. Jesus looks at John on the cross and says, Behold thy mother, and woman, behold thy son. So he's, he's so close to John. Jesus is so close to John. He says, Take over. Take care of my aging mother now for me. So he's one of the original 12 disciples. He's a disciple whom Jesus loved. He's one of two brothers. His brother's name is James. They're called the Sons of Zebedee, also the Sons of Thunder. They were very, they're pretty aggressive. He had been a follower of John the Baptist too, And he's known as the apostle of love. Now you say, Pastor, where does it say in here that John wrote it? It doesn't. The evidence of the way it was written, you can look at the stylistic nature of John. The themes, like if you look at verse 1, he talks about the beginning and the word of life. The themes that he has are just like the apostle John. And so what we have, and tradition is pretty well unanimous in this, John wrote five books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, he wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. You say, why are they called 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John? It's just the order in which they were written and presented. 1st, 2nd, 3rd. And what's the last book John wrote while he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos? There you go. The Revelation, or the book of Revelation. And it is singular because it's a unified apocalypsis, and a unified unveiling of who Jesus is. Revelation. So when did he write it? I'm going to agree with the conservatives here and say about the 90s AD. He was an elder. He was much older. He's one of the only disciples. In fact, he is the only disciple that was said that he was not martyred. And so he's exiled, and he's an older man. He writes to these folks like children. Now, that's not derogatory. It just means that I have pastoral care over you. You're like my spiritual children. God changed me, God changed you, we're part of the same family, and I'm like a father figure. It could have been written any time from the 60s to the 90s, not 1960s, the 60s, literally, (laughs) to the 90s A.D., okay? To whom is it written? Well, this is really important, guys. It's written to Christians. What we'll find evidence in the book and in other literature is that Christians were living in and around the big city of Ephesus. Ephesus was huge in its day. It was a massive ancient city, and it was likely circulated through churches around that area, Asia Minor. That's southwestern Asia, or today it would be Turkey. So if you look at a map and you see the Mediterranean and the Aegean seas, you'll find Turkey. If you look at that area, that's where. And you say, well, why is it important to know all of that? Why? Who cares? God says it to me today. Why do I need to know? Because you need to know what was going on in the days of John. You need to know what was going on in that area of the world because they were facing some real challenges. They were facing some real hard days. And so John is saying, look, the circumstances are harsh. Christians are losing their life. You know, even today we were praying with my guys over here in our pastor's prayer time. We were praying for the pastors of Canada. Pastors of Canada right now are literally getting dragged out of their churches and jailed. And I know that corona's been used and COVID's been used, but listen, folks, this is bigger than a virus. There there is something going on in our world that says, people of God, be quiet. And I say, no, we will not be quiet because even people in jail need Jesus. We're not going to be quiet. We're going to stand and proclaim the truth of God's word in love, with light, walking in life with Christ, but here's the thing. We got to know what was going on. What was John facing? The people were facing really difficult days. So why did John write? Number one, that we might have fellowship and full joy. We're going to talk about these next week in part two. Today, I'm just giving the big picture. Next week, we dig in. Fellowship has to do with our communion with Christ, not our union with Christ. When you trust Jesus and give him your heart and life, there's a union you have. But if we continue to sin and and do dumb things and walk away from God, then we've lost communion. And so he's talking about fellowship and full joy. In fact, look at it again, verse four, and these things I write to you that your joy may be full. He writes them also so that they might not sin. He's not saying you're gonna be perfect, guys. He's simply saying the penalty of sin is taken care of when you trust Christ as Lord and Savior. But the power of sin it still has this power sometimes because we're not walking in the light and walking in Christ's love. So 1 John says, this is how you can have victory over sin. This is how you can get forgiveness when you do sin because you will still stumble and fall. But chapter 2, he says, I write these things to you, little children, that you may not sin. But if you sin, you got an advocate with the Father." So he's also writing that we can overcome false teachers and dangerous teachings. The false teachers in John's day were saying this matter is evil. So Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. Docetism. He just said, oh, he just appeared to come in the flesh. They said, matter is evil, spirit is good. Now listen how they let that work in their brain. They said, because all matter is evil and spirit is good, doesn't matter what you do in the body. Go drunk, have, go get drunk, have your wild parties, do everything perverse you want to do, because the spirit the, the flesh is, is evil anyway. So Jesus only cares about your spirit, not true. Jesus cares about your spirit and your body. But that was a heresy of the day. In fact, they said, not only did uh, Jesus not come in the flesh, he only appeared to be a real man. He wasn't a real man. They also said something like this: The knowledge of the truth is more important than living the truth. We call that hypocrisy. They said, just think right. doesn't matter what you do. And then they said something like this, only a few of you are going to get it. Come into our club. These were quasi-Christians, by the way, not real Christians, but they were saying, come into our club, and we'll give you some secret knowledge so that you can walk with God. It's called Gnosticism, this secret knowledge. So John is saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Matter's not evil. God created and said it was very good. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus did come in the flesh, fully God, fully man. It does matter that he had flesh and bone. Yes, it matters. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not enough just to say what you believe. you got to live it. In fact, if you hate your brother, you can't really love God. He says, how you live matters. So John is counteracting all of this. And you know what else he was saying? Some Christians were bummed out. They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. The world is going to pot. The world is terrible. I thought I was saved. I thought God was gonna get me out of this. Am I really a Christian? And he said, slow your roll. If you believe, you can know that you have eternal life. In fact, I wanna ask a question. We're gonna kind of go up backward because these problems still happen today. Number four, says, look, he, he, you might have assurance. Now I want to go backward. Let's go up the list. Have any of you, I'm going to raise my hand because I have. Have any of you ever struggled with assurance of your salvation? Do I, am I really saved? Do I really know anybody? Most people, if they've been a Christian long enough, will tell you at some point they questioned. Anybody like me, and you've prayed the sinner's prayer many, many times, <laughs> most of us at some point have struggled with if we really, really know. I was sharing with a brother not long ago. He was really uncertain of his salvation. We went right to this book And I said, now look what John says. John who walked with Jesus. John who loved Jesus. John who was the beloved disciple. He said, I've written to you that you may know, know, know. And it's a very intimate word in the the, um, language, Koine Greek. Jews used it to talk about the personal relationship and intimacy between a husband and wife. He knew his wife. He said, I'm writing to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not think so, not hope so, know so. So we struggle with this. Experience. Do you think there's any false teachers or dangerous teaching going on in the pulpit today? Man, today we're going to bring our pledge cards. I've heard pastors say things like this If you'll just plant your thousand dollar seed, God will give you your promotion and God will give you so much and this and that, and they'll talk about money, 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 money. Well, yeah, but you got to give your money to them first a prosperity gospel that is false. I do believe God will bless you. I believe he'll bless you with things that are better than money. I believe his blessings are out of this world. But there's a lot of false teaching. There's false teaching that goes on today that says, well, I'm okay, you're okay. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. God will sort it out at the end. Yeah, he'll sort it out at the end. Either you know Jesus and you get in heaven or you don't know Jesus and you'll be separated from God forever. Yeah, he'll sort it out. But... But there's all kinds of dangerous teachings and false teachers. What about sin? Does anybody other than me still struggle with sin? Last night, I knew what I was preaching today. It's been done for a while. Last night, Bobby and I, I'm glad Bobby's singing at another church this morning because he'd tell the truth on me. We were gonna stop and get some sub. We went turkey hunting for the end of the season. We were gonna stop and get some subs on the way home. In fact, Cindy even had a, uh, coupon for buy one get one deal and when you're trying to feed a 14 year old teenage boy you need buy one get one <laughs> so we pulled in over near the house and people are obviously in there the place was going to stay open until 10 30 and I go up to the we jump out of the truck we're all camoed up go up to the door it won't open we don't have enough help. You'll have to use the drive through. And there's a line at the drive. Thank you for those stimulus checks that are really helping our economy. We pull out. I'm a little irritated and I'm hungry. We pull right across the roads, another fast food joint, no signage, nothing going on. Lights are on. People are in there. Sorry, man, we don't have enough workers in here. You're going to have to go through the drive through I am, whoo, I didn't cuss, but I wrote something down. I'm telling you right now. I was, mad. I was hot, hot mad. It took three stops to get anybody to work, because they can make more sitting at home on their backside than their job. I don't know that that's sin. I just don't like it. (laughs) It's sin to be lazy, I'll tell you that. In fact, the Bible says if you won't work and provide for your own, you've denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. Ooh, take it up with the Lord. What about having fellowship and full joy? You think we're in a time where joy can be robbed quickly? I can promise you last week looking at certain gas station lines, people lost their joy. Some of them lost their minds taking garbage bags to the pump. We live in a time where people are eating Tide Pods and putting gasoline in garbage bags. They have lost their joy and their mind. What is going on? I love the meme of the guy with his little can at the pump, and he's pumping gas, and he put a sign on his back that says, no, really, I need gas for my lawnmower. (laughs) So nobody would hurt him. Just one little old pipeline hack. One little old time and everybody panics and joy is gone. What is going on? Well, the Lord has something to say for us in all of these things and the much more serious issues that we're facing in the church today. Because even nearly 2,000 years later, there's false gospels. There's folks having trouble forgiving others and themselves. There's folks having trouble gaining victory over sin. There are folks ripping scripture from context. There are folks struggling with assurance of salvation. I could go on and on and on. But I want to end with this today. I want to show you something before we go into a a time of decision. Um, I used to think a certain way. And I I really used to think in in this term, God was first, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. God is first, Cindy is second, because as my wife, I know that she is um, the one God created and brought into my life. She doesn't complete me, Christ completes me, but she's the woman God Made for me, and and then God gave us children, so my kids are next, right? So it's God and my spouse and my kids. And then for me, it was church, church, what I do and serve. And this is before ministry, too. This is not just my job. This is just church and loving God and serving the Lord. And then for me, for years and years, it was school. I was a student a long time. So doing a couple of degrees and postgraduate work and a PhD and all that, so it was school. And here's what happens when you live this way. You begin to compete, So kids want to come, kids want to play. Hey, you can't right now. Just leave me alone. I'm reading my Bible. God is first. God is first. God is first. Or we got this thing at church, so I can't go to this thing for them, and I can't do this for her, or she's sick, and I got... And so you're making all these decisions... What John is going to try to teach us in this journey is something different. I don't think that way anymore. I've stopped thinking God, Cindy, kids, church, and, for, you know, it could be work, um, school. I stopped thinking that way. And if you think that way, I would encourage you to stop too. Because what we have in life, we all have lots and lots of stuff going on, right? We just do. We all have lots and lots of stuff. Like, uh, can y'all zoom in on this stuff so they can see it? Y'all see what that is? That's a little pickup truck. I got a red pickup truck. I like my red pickup truck. When I go hunting, it takes me where I want to go. I like it. Um, so that's this is me. This is me in my life. My truck. That's part of it, right? We got some blocks here. I loved Legos as a kid. Um, I kind of still like Legos actually. Um, So, you know, we build things, maybe a house. You build things. We're trying to finish paying for the church and keep building, keep moving forward. You got these blocks. Um, Maybe you even have, oh, there's a sports car looking thing. That's kind of cool. What else do we have? Oh, yeah, some of you guys, you like... Batman, right? So you got your fun stuff, your your toys and oh, I like this one. Some of y'all think Disney's of the devil, but I still like there's a snake in my boot. I'm Woody. So you got entertainment. Yes, yeah, part of your life, right? Entertainment's part of your life. And you got all these other things. Oh, this is for this is for Mike Floyd, because he's a nerd. Look, there's Yoda I am, baby Yoda y'all see yoda he liked the mandalorian although i'm told that's not baby yoda it's somebody else i don't know oh some of y'all are really big into the video game scene it's a mario y'all seen mario kart before there's mario and there's all these other things i mean we could just do all of this and um oh there's another batman he's cool we're gonna fill our life these are not bad things these really aren't bad i mean they're okay we fill our life with these things oh wait 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 Oh, that's a good one, okay? We're filling our life, we're filling our life. Oh, I don't want to leave the most important thing out. I lost her headband. I don't know where it is. I even cut her hair. i tried trying to make her look like my sweetheart. Look at this. That's my sweet Cindy, although this doll's not nearly as pretty. I did the haircut, it's pretty bad. But I was, I, I was trying to find Snow White, and I couldn't, so I found, but Cindy, you know, again, in my life, Remember, we're not doing the God, then her, then the kids, you know. But you got all these other things. You got good things in your life. They're fine, there's nothing necessarily wrong with them. But for most of us, life feels pretty full. I mean, I got all of this stuff. In fact, I'll just take the rest of it. All right, not bad, the building blocks and things. But now I still got Jesus. And I've got to figure out okay, so it's Christ over. Wait a minute. Christ, how in the world? And I try to maybe dig a few things out, but at best, I can't really make it work. I want to stop us thinking about Christ over all of this, and I want us to start living a different way. Christ doesn't compete with my Cindy. Christ doesn't compete with my kids. Christ doesn't compete with what I do for work or in church. You're a pastor, yeah, but just for any of us. What I've come to discover is that when we put Christ in the center of it all, and remember what he said, I am the light of the world. So he is emanating light. Then when it comes to my marriage, guess what? Christ is the center of my marriage. When it comes to all of these other things, the activities and the entertainments and my home and my children and and even my cars and all of these other... Deci- there was Woody trying to kiss Cindy. Let me move him away. That wouldn't be good. And so... You know, what I can discover very quickly is that there's plenty of room for Jesus, but he's got to be the center. Now, take your imagination with me for a minute and let's think about something for just a second. What if if Christ is the light of the world, then it's not like I'm hiding Jesus. You say, oh, you can't even see Jesus anymore. No, if he is light, then actually he's penetrating and emanating in and through all of those relationships and all of those things. So in my home, in my marriage, with my parenting, with my work, with my relationships. Christ is all in all because he's light and he's love and he's life and he's not first among these things. He's first among everything. So it's not Jesus then, it's Jesus is the hub, the center, and every spoke that comes off. Every other part of my life is better because of Jesus. Does that make sense? All right. Now, you keep him where he belongs. John, is going to be teaching us, get the real Jesus in the center. And then when you struggle with sin, and you will. When you have false teaching around you, and you will. When you're dealing with relational tension, and you lose your joy, and you will. You come back to the hub, the center, and it's always Christ, his light, his love. His life. This is going to be a fun journey, guys. A journey of joy with the real Jesus. Stand with me this morning. We're going to do a very short invitational time for prayer. I'd ask you to remember Jeff and Kim Davis as Jeff goes in for his back surgery this Friday. I want you to remember a family down the road. He was a local minister who just lost his seven year old son. uh, members of our community who serves the church. I'll not go into detail. We've had a number of people in the Grace family that have lost loved ones this week, family members. And um, I want you to continue to, of course, pray for Pastor Michael, for Pastor Michael and Miss Betsy. I want you to pray about what we're getting ready to do together in a few minutes. We're going to have our Freedom for the Future down, up, march down. Also, I failed to mention in the first service, but we also have an online option. If you just want to give the card online, you can fill it out that way. It's perfectly fine. I, I don't want to do this yet, though. Don't bring these yet, please. We're going to do that together. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to anything God said in your heart. I'll be available along with my wife, counselors, pastors in a few minutes. But for now, if you just want to come and leave something with the Lord, if you just want to come and maybe pray about one of these things I've mentioned or something else, for some of you, you felt like Jesus has been competing. And I discovered early in ministry that if Jesus competed, it would embitter my wife or my children because I would have to choose And of course, as a Christian or a minister, you'd feel guilty not always choosing Jesus. But I've come to the place of saying, it's not that kind of choice. Is Christ all in all? Is he the hub around which everything else turns? And if he is, there's no competition. It's just that your life radiates Christ. So let's take just a moment. We'll have a brief invitation and then we're gonna have our march down. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be here with your people in your house, to sing your praises, to come to this holy altar on this holy day. If there's anybody here that needs to lift something before you, I hope they'll take the next few minutes and they'll lay it at your precious feet. If anybody needs to come to faith in Christ today or come back to you or unite with this fellowship, whatever it is, we'll be ready to receive them in just a few minutes. But God, do in these final minutes, what only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.